With no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, banking with Capital One is like the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like Taylor Swift choosing what to wear. It's looking kind of chilly out today. I think I'll go with a cardigan. Yep, even easier than that. And with our top-rated app, you can bank anytime, anywhere, making Capital One an even easier decision. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? New consumer accounts only. Approval required. Terms apply. Capital One and a member FDIC. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host. Are we good to go right now? Um, yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Thank you for joining us. Um, since our last takeover, a lot has changed for our government. On January 5th, Reverend Raphael Warnick and John Osef won their Senate races in Georgia, meaning Democrats now control the Senate chamber in addition to the House of Representatives. On January 6th, a violent white supremacist mob to attack the Capitol, spurred on by the rhetoric of former President Trump and many Republicans in Congress. A week later, January 14th, Trump was impeached by a bipartisan majority in the House of Representatives for his role in inciting the insurrection. And finally, on January 20th, just one week ago, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were sworn in as president and vice president of the United States. These transfers of power have massive implications for many different policy areas, including climate. In Biden's first week in office, his administration has already signed several executive orders reversing harmful policies from the Trump administration and establishing new policies that experts agree will help us better address the climate crisis. Today is declared Climate Day by the White House. Biden signed an, an executive order establishing a White House Interagency Council on Environmental Justice creating an Office of Health and Climate Equity at the Health and Human Services Department and forming a separate environmental justice office at the Justice Department. To break down some of the immediate actions that the Biden administration has taken on climate and where policy experts and environmental justice advocates hope that the administration and Congress will go from here, we're joined by two experts, guests, Latricia Adams, the founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint. Hi, Latricia. Hello, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for joining. And we also have Alexandria Via Senor, the founder of Earth Uprising. Hi, Alexandria. Hi, I'm really happy to be talking with all of you today. Thank you. Thank you both so much for joining us today. 
Um, to start off, Latricia, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to find Black Millennials for Flint and what is your organization currently focused on? Yeah, so um, of course with our namesake, um, the organization um, came about in response to the Flint water crisis. Um, what is interesting from a historical perspective, um, we actually were founded um, on the East Coast, so in the DC area, which is very fitting being that um, our democracy um, kind of comes uh, um collectively um, in, in the capital as far as um, getting policy passed, legislation. Um, and so um, in the beginning of the Flint water crisis, um, we responded like many people did uh, in the beginning of the crisis where we wanted to provide immediate support with providing water um, to the Flint community. But we soon realized that it was much more than that. Um, when we think about environmental justice issues, it's not just pervasive um, in Flint, Michigan. There are Flint, Michigans that exist across the country, um, specifically where you see um, communities of color, specifically African-American, Latinx um, communities. And so in February of 2016, so we're going on five years, uh, which is hard to believe, um, we went from just doing a community outreach effort um, to entering into a political advocacy space because we understand um, that while, yes, we still focus on providing direct services and needs, it's imperative that young people, especially young people of color, um, have access um, to uh, make uh, contributions towards the decisions that are made in our country. Um, so really excited to be on this journey um, and always giving um, honor and respect to those champions, those activists on the ground in Flint that literally rock the nation um, as it relates to environmental justice. Great, thanks. Um, and Alexandria, what is the mission of Earth Rising and how did you come to work in this space? Yeah, so I first got involved in climate activism after I started going on school strike for climate in front of the United Nations headquarters on December 14th of 2018. So I was just 13 years old when I first started climate activism. And after I started striking, I got involved with those global climate strikes we saw on March 15th of 2019, um, May 3rd, May 24th, and the really big one on September 20th. And so through organizing all of those global climate strikes, one thing I found was that there were a lot of youth who weren't getting involved because they didn't realize why it was important. And a lot of young people didn't realize why they should go on strike. And so I realized just how important climate education really was. And so that's why on April 22nd of 2019, so Earth Day, I went and launched Earth Uprising International, and we focus on climate education, but it's where youth teach each other peer to peer. And so, but also we don't just cover regular, um, you know, greenhouse effects and the um, climate science. We go into different areas of climate education. So we talk about climate adaptation, environmental justice, and intersectionality, sustainable jobs and green careers. And it's basically like a climate education 2.0, but where young people are taking it in their own hands and teaching each other. And so I think that it's so important for young people to 
um, educate each other on this crisis because it also empowers them to go out and take action. And so, of course, during the pandemic, we have really changed up the ways that we are organizing, but our movement is still growing. Yeah, and thanks, um, Alexandria, for all the work that you're doing. And to that, to that last point there, right, things have changed in terms of um, strategy, not strategy, but the activities that are possible because of the pandemic. But certainly young people are still really leading this movement, as, as, as both you and Latricia talked about, in terms of making sure that we're taking an inter, uh, intersectional approach in addressing uh, climate change and, and addressing um, environmental justice. And so um, really excited about the ways in which young people have been leading on this on this movement. And, you know, we, we sort of saw it um, rise to the surface in a really powerful way during the election cycle, where every major candidate on the certainly on the on the Democratic um, uh, primary process, and then later with the nomination of now President Joe Biden, who came forward with a bold plan, really needed to respond and make sure that they had a really fleshed out plan to address the climate crisis. And so now we're, we're about a week in, and just today, uh, on top of some very early things that took place, today, um, President Biden came forward with um, some very specific steps uh, that he's taken in the first week, and again today with some more executive actions, specifically to address climate. So, uh, Latricia, what what are some of those steps that President Biden has taken uh, to address climate issues? So one thing that I am just so excited um, to talk about, and I know oftentimes folks say, you know, don't get caught up in the semantics. Um, but one of the things that I have been so impressed with with the language is just the outright um, calling it like it is, right? So actually using terminology around um, environmental justice um, is so important, particularly as it relates to communities of, of color. So I wanted, I would be remiss um, not to acknowledge that. Um, I believe that um, also framing this um, conversation, I think that it's really important to talk about the accountability um, that we see with these executive orders. Oftentimes, um, when you think about presidential candidates, um, sometimes they give us a little bit of lip service, right? So <laughs> saying things um, that will hopefully captivate um, future constituents. Um, and so we're seeing um, Biden, you know, delivering very early on on some of the, the promises and commitments that he made to uh, the American people. Um, as it relates to the executive orders, I think that it sets a, a precedent um, for not just how um, we are responsive at a um, at a federal level, but it also has implications for how we respond um, from a state level and even from a local level. So, um, Latricia, so when, we, when we come back from this break, I want to dive in more about what this means for both the federal, state, and local levels right after this break here on the Generation Progress Takeover. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Diagene. 
And we are back talking all things climate today with two experts, Latricia Adams, the founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint, and Alexandria Villasenor, the founder of Earth Uprising. And so just before break, we were talking with Latricia about some of the initial steps here that have been taken by the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration to address the climate crisis. And just, uh, I guess it's more than a week now, it's eight days, uh, including today where uh, a, a few, a couple of um, uh, executive orders, that's the word I was looking for, were signed today, really looking to move forward on cutting pollution, ending environmental injustice, halting nature loss, and investing in clean energy. So Latrice, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back to you with where we where where we left off and just what is what is, what do these initial actions mean both at the federal level and at the local and state level? So um, while there are several things you know ranging from um, the emphasis on protecting public lands, um, also of course making um, impeccable strides towards environmental justice. Um, one of the things that I think is a, a wonderful opportunity as it relates to the state and local level is the focus on green jobs. Um, so focusing on um, clean energy and really building a solid green economy. Um, I think that, that is very advantageous um, for uh, states and, and local governments, um, especially when we think about um, the state of our economy and where there's a focus on there being more equity um, and higher paying jobs specifically for Black and, and Latinx folks. Um, I actually had an opportunity to speak earlier this week and I talked about um, oftentimes in communities of color, there's a little bit of reluctance when you talk about or when you hear politicians talking about their good jobs, good paying jobs coming. Um, and so I think that this is a great opportunity to actually um, prioritize communities of colors of color and making sure that once these various jobs are created, that people of color have access to the real high paying jobs, right? So not necessarily um, the low end wage types of jobs, but making sure that there's full and robust representation um, throughout the entire industry as it's growing. Um, so that definitely is something that is really exciting. Um, specifically, you know, when you think about states like Michigan, um, uh, Governor Whitman definitely has um, a huge platform surrounding workforce development. Um, so it is a perfect opportunity to really engage um, at the, the state and local levels as it relates to uh, workforce development. It's definitely an area of, of interest that I'm personally excited about. That's awesome. Um, I think you really hit it on the head when you talk about that today has really definitely been a day of a whole government approach to the climate crisis and the intersectional approach because as we are as a country in a moment of economic recovery, um, as we move forward with responding to that, at the center of it, we're still holding, um, addressing the climate crisis. So I want to, I guess, kick this question over to Alex. Oh, was there a comment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually have a couple of things to add off of that, you know, oh, go um, for it. and I kind of want to add a couple of specific things that I am actually quite excited about for, that the Biden administration is doing. Um, so on 
the first day they rejoined the Paris Agreement, which is so important for COP26 because we can't meet global climate goals without the United States doing its part and even leading the way. Um, I have friends in Earth Uprising who are in um, places like Colombia, and they said that their country looks towards the United States with the actions that they take. And of course, before the Biden administration, that was quite a scary outlook with no action that we have taken. But now that we have um, rejoined the Paris Agreement, that's a great first step. But then also, the, the Biden administration has also canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which is a huge win. He's also halting all oil and gas leases on federal lands. He wants to electrify the federal government's entire fleet of vehicles. And one really big thing that Biden administration is doing is that they're calling on federal agencies to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies. And this is huge. Um, the third point is that the Biden administration is overturning Trump's administration's directives like they are um, rejoining the Paris Agreement again. So they're overturning things that previously were done that were harmed for harmful to um, the environment and the climate. And so um, these are great steps that we've seen just within a week. And so it's now up to the activists and us to really hold them accountable to make sure that they keep doing this kind of work. So, like, Alexander, you can't see me because we're all virtual and not in the <laughs> studio, but like, I am we're sitting cheering. here clapping, I'm snapping my fingers. I might have done a little dance a second ago. Like the litany of the list of things you just ran through that has happened in just the first days of this administration are so exciting. The 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 Keystone Pipeline being canceled, the fact that um, as you said, pausing or or stopping leases on for drilling on federal lands. I mean, the list goes on. You ran through them so beautifully. Like the the rea like we have done so much in eight days, and the reality is we weren't starting at zero. We were starting at pre-zero, uh, you know, negative yeah. numbers because. I mean, even during COVID, even during a pandemic that is that is upper respiratory in nature that that causes shortness of breath, we were seeing the Trump administration literally gut environmental protections that are meant to maintain clean air um, and 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 protect the air that we breathe. And so, you know, these are uh, you know, as, as Edwith reminds me, these are the things that young people voted for and called for, and to see them come to pass in week one and this is just the beginning is is really exciting and so um you know we celebrate with you but we also i think thank you and and thank you latricia and and, and all the other activists and advocates out there who have really pushed and made this possible because we know that groundswell of action on the outside is what contributed to this being prioritized on the inside I also wanted to add really quickly is that we're now back a part of um, the World Health Organization. So with WHO, uh, that was absolutely terrifying um, in the previous administration. So have to shout that out. Very excited and um, calmer <laughs> considering <laughs> uh, where we are right now that we are back in. So I wanted to mention that also. Yes, yes. Very, very important point. And thank you. And, and I think, you know, alongside who, and, and as Alexander mentioned, the Paris Agreement, I think both of those are examples of us sort of rejoining international agreements and, and international organizations as we look to move forward. So, you know, Latricia, what are some of the biggest challenges that we're currently facing in terms of in terms of climate change and environmental justice? We just talked about some of the really big celebratory things. What what challenges still remain in front of us? And we have so, 60 seconds. If you can whittle that down in a minute, 
You know what? My bad. I did. I did. I got. I got lost here in time. So rather than kicking that to you with a uh, a pretty significant in depth answer, when we come back from the break here in just a couple of minutes, we'll continue. We'll continue to talk here with with um, Latricia Adams, founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint, and Alexandria Villasenor, founder of Earth Uprising. And we'll dig in a little bit more about the challenges that exist in front of us as we continue to seek uh, to address the climate crisis. Uh, if right you miss Les- Generation Progress Takeover. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hi there. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edward Theogene. And I'm your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen. So today is Climate Day. Um, We are here today talking about all the different responses that the new administration, the Biden-Harris administration, has had with climate. We are joined by two really great youth-led, millennial-focused, millennial-led organizations. Uh, Latricia Adams, CEO, founder and president of Black Millennials for Flint. Hi, Latricia. Welcome back. Hello. And Alexandria Villasenor, founder of Earth Uprising. Hello, Alexandria. Hey. So now with more time, um, more than one minute, <laughs> let's jump right back into our conversation. Um, so Latricia, uh, before we went off to break, we were asking what are some of the biggest challenges we are currently facing in terms of climate change and environmental justice? Um, yeah, so what are some of those challenges? So the the biggest challenge um, is actually a a legacy of pollution um, in black and brown communities. So when we think about um, how climate has been impacting us for for decades and decades, um, we also have to take into consideration the existence and occurrence of body burden. So it also intersects with access to um, quality health care. Like, what is that going to look like? So when we talk about addressing climate, it, it can't just be solely based on, you know, the more technical aspects um, of, of climate change. We also have to make sure that actual humanity, like people, are at the core of that work. Um, I think that is what makes environmental justice um, so important um, is that it always keeps people, um, the spirit of people, the the physical uh, capturing of, of people at the core. Um, also something that's really important to highlight that still coincides with um, health um, and the impact of climate is around maternal health. So last summer, uh, the New York Times released a really devastating um, article that spoke about a report where um, Black women, out of all women birthing babies, Black women are the most disproportionately impacted by climate that can result in premature birth, low birth weight, 
uh, weights, um, the list just goes on and on. So when we talk about climate, when we talk about moving forward with these actions, it is imperative that we prioritize those individuals that are being the most disproportionately impacted. Um, we can't, you know, look over the fact that the environmental justice movement um, and even aspects of the climate justice movement um, is very much so white, even though the environmental justice movement um, was uh, started by like the grandfather of the EJ movement, Dr. Robert Bullard, some of your other legends um, in the field like Dr. Beverly Wright. Um, Peggy Shepard, it's important um, that we address how this movement has been co-opted and make sure that the people who are actually being impacted have seats at the table and that their voices are amplified the most. Um, so that was a mouthful. <laughs> Definitely, um, we are in the beginning of some amazing first steps. Um, but we have to really get to a place of restorative justice um, that is alongside with the environmental justice component. Wow, that was a mouthful and a lot to sort of like process. I think one thing that I really appreciate too, you drawing the connection to maternal health and environmental justice, um, you know, in the reproductive justice movement and in that space, um, we really try to focus on if, when, and how people can create their families. And another piece that most people forget about when they think about reproductive justice and environmental justice is also the right to have children. And a lot of the impacts, like most people who are impacted by infertility um, are people of color and it is connected to environmental uh, concerns, right? Like pollution, air toxicity, all of those things. So people don't really connect the two and see the urgency between environmental justice in the same way that some of them see the urgency of reproductive justice. So that's a really interesting connection. And I think a lot of the stuff that you shared as well, Latricia, I mean, environmental justice is economic justice, environmental justice is racial justice, environmental justice, all of those things are connected. And I love that you are able to tie it in together um, with this intersectional approach and in response to the legacy of the work as well. Um, so did you have a comment? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I also would be remiss not to give a shout out to Leah Thomas, um, who's actually a, a Gen Z. I'm feeling so old now. I'm already an <laughs> older millennial. Elder uh, but, millennial. You're elder <laughs> yes, millennial. A youthful elder, um, but um, just to shout her out um, and, you know, she's a movement by herself, right? So even coining um, the terminology intersectional environmentalism, uh, far too often in the EJ movement, we've been operating in silos. And tying it back to the Biden-Harris administration, I think that we're beginning to see uh, more interagency um, work surrounding environmental justice and how environmental justice shows up, um, not just with EPA, uh, you know, but from the Department of Interior and other agencies um, that have um, a hand in the preservation of, of, our, of our country and the health of our environment. So wanted to add that part in as well as one of the, the champion first steps uh, with this administration. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Latricia. And, and, you know, glad to see all the different agencies coming to the table here because we certainly can't address it in a silo. Um, Alexandria, sort of, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about what we're happy having seen here in just a week. And we've talked a little bit about the history of the movement and how we got here. Sort of looking forward over the next six months, if you will, what are some of the things that you're hoping to see uh, come to fruition? that you're hoping to see the Biden-Harris administration or Congress really act on? Yeah, you know, um, I first want to quickly add kind of things have been um, talked about before. I, first of all, um, love Leah Thomas. She is amazing. Um, and, you know, all of those, um, all of those activists as well. And I, I honestly think that we cannot get climate justice without racial justice and environmental justice in the youth climate movement is um, continuing to grow and change as well. So centering the people who are the most affected by the climate crisis and meeting their needs first. And so often this is people of color and low income communities. And so it also means making sure equity is at the forefront, forefront of all of our decision making about the climate crisis and not leaving people behind. Um, see, the most unjust thing about the climate crisis is that the people who contributed the least to the crisis um, and the people who have uh, used the least amount of resources and inflict, um, have created the least amount of pollution. And so um, they're the ones being affected the most. And the crisis was created by the rich and is being inflicted on the poor. And so environmental justice is literally obtaining justice for these people. And so the movement, uh, especially the youth climate movement, we're going to continue to grow and um, take in all the values that we have really learned over these past couple of months and um, continue to push for more action as well. So take all of this and make sure that we get tangible action from it and action on the systemic level. Um, and that's really what we're going to be focusing on too this year, especially with COP26 coming up, is the need for this set systemic action um, at the government level, at the international level. And so I want to see more environmental justice from the Biden administration, more money for affected communities, more money for health care for people affected by the climate crisis, because climate change is this multifaceted issue. Um, climate will affect everything. It'll affect, um, it'll, especially my generation too, it'll affect everything about our life. It'll affect where we end up going to school. Um, it'll affect, you know, where we end up living. A lot of young people are having conversations about whether or not they want to have children. And um, climate change will affect just every part of our life. And so it's so important that we go into taking these actions and keep that open-mindedness about it, about how it does affect everything in our society. And so we need to get action in every single one of those areas. And so that's why I'm very excited to see that there are more people coming into this movement with more initiatives, because I always say that the climate movement is like this huge ecosystem of climate organizations all focusing on different areas of our movement. And that's so important is that we do have those focuses and so this next year is, um, it's really the decade of action. Last year, the decade of action was launched, and now we just have to continue pushing for that. That's amazing. We'll be, we'll be right back uh, on the Generation Progress takeover of the Wesley Marshall Show. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. 
The Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Hello and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm your other co-host, Adwithia Jean. And we are back talking about all things climate crisis and climate policy and celebrating some of the recent actions taken here by the Biden-Harris administration in just their first week and looking forward to the challenges and opportunities that remain. Uh, joining us are experts, Latricia Adams, founder, CEO, and president of Black Millennials for Flint, and Alexandria Villasenor, founder of Earth Uprising. And so, uh, Alexandria, I'm going to kick it right back to you actually here for a second. Um, are there any misconceptions that you frequently come across in your work around the climate crisis or the actions that we need to take to address the climate crisis? Are there misconceptions or misinformation that, that we really need to correct the record on? Yeah, you know, I've actually been seeing a lot of misinformation um, floating around the past couple of weeks. And um, you know, to start off, I think that the one of the biggest ones is um, by the GOP. I mean, Rand Paul just went on national television this week and tried to tell everyone climate change was caused by the tilt of the earth. And I mean, he's not even listening to NASA because Gavin Schmidt, who leads NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, went and burned him on Twitter for his false statements. And I mean, if you also look at Ted Cruz, who tweeted out that the Paris Agreement was literally about the people of Paris. And Ted Cruz went to Harvard, so I'd be quite surprised if he couldn't read the Paris Agreement. So this misinformation that is being spread around um, for whatever reason is um, definitely something that I've really started to look at because activists are concerned about this because um, the Republican electorates believe they're leaders. And when we're trying to organize, we spend a lot of time having conversations with people who have been given false information. And so we'd have to vote out politicians that purposely misinform their base about climate change. And so this is one thing that young people are really looking towards is who is telling the truth here and who's actually informing people about the urgency of climate change. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, this disinformation, whether intentional or unintentional, is so harmful. And GP actually had a uh, we had a campaign a while back, get the facts out uh, dot com that was up that was calling out people for elected officials in Congress for their mis misrepresentations and misinformation. Um, one other thing I'll just add is, you know, I think a lot of times, even in activist circles sometimes, and it's, it's getting outdated, but it needs to get pushed all the way out, is that climate is a uh, an issue that is most popular or most most um, mostly young white activists are involved. And we just know that's simply not true. And as we've talked about in this conversation, how inherently important racial justice and environmental justice are to the climate justice conversation and climate action in general. And I love that that's been centered so much here and as part of both of your work. And so want to also hopefully put that, that myth to rest here. As I said, I think it's rapidly coming to an end anyway. Um, Latricia, as, as, as how can, you know, how can we get young people looking to get more involved in this work to take action? Is there anything that they should call their members of Congress right now and ask about? 
Yeah, so you actually, I, I love the way that you frame that because um, I am a educator by trade. So at one point in life, I was a middle school teacher and high school teacher. And I think one of the things, and kind of circling back um, quickly to something that I mentioned earlier about how there's such a, a great opportunity at the state and local level, it's time for us to incorporate aspects of climate and environmental justice in our classrooms. So even when we begin to to talk about like the green economy. Who, how are we training our, our children to inherit or be prepared for these jobs, right? So I think that there is um, a lot of opportunity and intentionality, um, even from a K through 12 perspective. Um, something else that is really, really, really so important is to maintain the same energy and momentum that young people had during the campaign trail. Um, you know, I, um, and this is not at all to pick on the Obama administration, but in the, the first term, there was so much excitement. Um, the charisma was there uh, with, with young people. Um, but then in the second election, we started to kind of see that die down. So I think um, with this new administration, we can kind of learn um, from that experience to maintain that same engagement. So the very things that the, the youth and, and young adults uh, and first-time voters um, they were the, the climate champions, right? So they were the ones um, that pushed that agenda forward. And so I think um, when we talk about what that engagement looks like um, from a, a, an administration perspective, it is imperative to keep that keep that same energy and connection. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I, that totally came to mind as you were talking, Latricia. I was like, yep, keep that same energy. Um, so that's a really great point because you're right. Last year was known as a climate election year. So we look forward to what will happen next in this administration and with um, Congress. Uh, Alexandra, do you have anything to add in terms of um, any ways or actions that young people, like how can young people looking to get more involved in this work take action? I think that there are so many different ways for young people to take action. And so usually the first thing that I tell young people to do is to find their climate story and how they're being impacted by the climate crisis. And then from there, find out what they want to do about it. So join an organization or a group that focuses on what you want to do. And, you know, from there, I think that social media plays a huge part in someone's activism as well when it comes to reaching other people and um, getting your message out there. And so, Young people as well are really leading on climate at the ballot box. And so that's what we need to continue doing because it was young organizers that helped reelect Senator Markey, uh, Markey. And actually we did so much online and social media organizing for Senator Markey um, through like TikTok and Instagram. And so um, people are starting to call us the Markeyverse. And so I think we need to continue encouraging young people to organize using their own culture too. And so I think that that's really important. Those are great points. Thank you so much. And I think it's really great to meet people where they're at. Um, so we're about to wrap up today's show, but I just wanted to give both of our guests an opportunity. Um, Alexandria, where can people learn more about you and your work? 
Um, yes, uh, anyone can find me on any social media platform, uh, Alexandra V 2005 and also make sure to follow Earth Uprising. Um, all of our socials are Earth, up, Earth underscore Uprising, and our website is earthuprising.org. Great. And Latricia, where can people learn more about Black Millennials for Flint and learn more about your work? Yeah, so um, likewise, we um, have Twitter at BM4Flint, uh, and that's the number four, and on um, YouTube, as well as Facebook and Instagram um, at Black Millennials for Flint, and that's the number four. Um, also visit our website. Um, we have a really engaging listserv where we have updates on ways, um, especially in a, uh, in this COVID space and virtual land, where folks can really tap in and support. Um, so hopefully those platforms um, will be a, a great reference point for folks. Absolutely, absolutely. Please make sure you go check those platforms out. Make sure you check out the work that Alexandria and Latricia are doing. I mean, you can hear here and just, you know, we could talk for another three hours uh, if we had the time about all the work that they're doing and the exciting work that's happening. Um, you know, want to replug the work that that Generation Progress is doing in the climate space as well over at Get the Facts Out. Um, that is getthefactsout.com. Um, and you can also check out the work that we're doing. If you were a climate voter, meaning that um, you showed up to vote and one of the big reasons you were voting was because of climate, you can also um, share your story with GP about why you were a climate voter at Be a Climate Voter. Excuse me, get at genprogress.org slash be a climate voter. So really excited for this conversation. Uh, Edwith and I have been cheering on, um, as I'm sure you have been at home, both the administration's actions as well as the work that our uh, expert guests have been doing here, not just over the past week, but for years leading up to and making today uh, today's executive orders possible. Um, so we're, we're coming up just about now on time. Um, we want to thank our today's guests, Latricia Adams and Alexandria Villasenor, uh, our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our communications manager, Emily Leach, and certainly to all of our listeners. Please make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Gen Progress. Edwith, where can folks check, uh, follow you on Twitter? People can check me out on Twitter at Who's Ed With. And you can find me at Brent J. Cohen. And we will talk to you again on our next remote Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks, everybody. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents.